Hello, everyone. Welcome to this Friday's episode of Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you here this morning. I have our number one Hollywood insider with many deep friends in his pocket, Keith Rao. Keith, please say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here yet again on a wonderful Friday. We, uh, we've already been chatting it up a little bit here because we are waiting for our clubhouse meeting to get started. So we had to uh, spend the last few minutes just talking about Steven Spielberg's career. Um, and and our, as, as Keith said, uh, Spielberg is our childhood. Um, and a lot of stuff we're trying to do here in Hollywood Breaks is actually kind of just talk through what we know to be true about what Hollywood used to be and then what this new Hollywood thing is. Um, and this there's this tipping point that we feel we're on the edge of, of where people have are coming to grips with that the new Hollywood has arrived, where I feel like for the last few years, we've been talking about what's that it's going away, but we didn't know where it's going. Um, so Hollywood breaks really here is to start talking about like, what do we see in trends, ideas, some of the new pop reality of what's going on, and uh, really some of the opportunities as filmmakers, content makers, um, what this new Hollywood brings to us. And there's so many great opportunities. If we just listen to all the studio execs and, and big players, all you're going to hear is them much, much of uh, lamenting of what that uh, used to be. Uh, we want to focus on a new opportunity. So uh, with that set up, I kind of uh, want to just talk about really quickly the movie poster behind you. Uh, you have David right. Fincher's Fight Club, um, which uh, great. I think uh, that came... I worked with Fincher on Seven, did the opening credits with him. Uh, one, I think Seven might've been his second film. Um, I mean, he did Alien, I know that right before. Yes, right. Um, and I, I gotta I'll be honest, working with him, I do believe everyone was a little confused of what his vision really was. <laughs> uh, if you know what a ground glass is in filmmaking, which is um, like the eyepiece the director looks through in a camera. Yeah. Fincher was not happy with industry standard ground glasses. So he had his own cut to meet his own kind of look and feel. That way when it transferred to video or anything else, he knew everything he wanted to was gonna be in the frame the way he wanted it. And yeah. I like that kind of genius that wants to rethink or re uh, see things for the world, I, I think uh, is what his legacy really is. And then obviously we worked with him at Seven. Fight Club is two films later after um, uh, the game one. <clears throat> yeah, this, this, post, this poster obviously is famous because the, uh, the tagline, first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club, which has obviously been a cultural, uh, a uh, cultural um, milestone, if you will. Um, it's interesting history of this movie. It was not very popular when it, re it released. It, it kind of found its audience when it came into home video. Um, and it wasn't really beloved by the studio, quite frankly. Uh, this was sort of like right after Rupert Murdoch had purchased 20th Century Fox, or not right after, but sort of down the road. He was still involved in Hollywood and I believe it was actually Lachlan Murdoch, the son, who's now CEO of News Corp, who actually championed this movie. Um, and it is a great movie, um, visually unbelievably cool. Uh, I worked a little bit with him on Gone Girl when I was at Fox, and you know that movie was great. But going through the process and sort of how he visualizes things is really, it's quite striking um, because you're right. That's a great way to look at it. Is like he's always looking to reinvent the wheel. He doesn't want to do things just how they've been done in the past. And I think that aesthetic and that sort of vision is what the industry really needs right now. Well, I remember um, having this moment with the, um, some of the finishers that we were working with, the editorial house and the people that have kind of finished the film. 
And um, there was this constant reference of how Fincher used to hang out in all these like optical houses and whatever, learning, even the lab, he would go to the lab to figure out how the lab was worked, the lab process mm -hmm. worked. Um, and then he brought that into it. He, he directed a music video for the Rolling Stones and uh, he had this concept of what he was trying to accomplish in camera by doing all this experience. So even the, the, the printing of the film seven had a, it was called uh, die, it's like die cut or there was like a special secondary process that he did to mm -hmm. add more grain to the film. Uh, so I like to tell people like when people say they love the seven title sequence or love the movie seven. And I was like, if you didn't see in the film, the, in the theater, you actually will never see the original because you, you don't get that visual appeal looking through that green equality that yeah. it does it's not on the negative it was on the printing process so you had to watch it through a, a print of the film through a projector onto a screen in order to ever see that which of course wow. no, nothing is printed again except for um, <laughs> no. uh, quentin tarantino movies or whatever it's all it's see. all digital delivery at this point it just yeah, comes on a flash drive <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's absolutely insane uh, the, unless it's a christopher of, nolan film then he's still he's still big on film yeah and um, and i let's say i think uh um yeah th there's there's a few filmmakers that will do something in special release but if you ever get a chance by the way if, so for some reason they're going to show a, a film print of something in your neighborhood please go please go see it uh, this digital stuff that we see now is not the same. All right, nope. talking about like we don't want to, we don't want to become these old people that we're talking about in Hollywood breaks <laughs> that are stuck in something. But there is a quality if we look back that is there, and then looking forward, you can understand what holds back some of these uh, creative filmmakers. Um, you know, this week I'm just going to kind of pick on a couple of small things this week to start things off. Um, the Paramount Plus was talked about just. Um, was it launched yesterday, two days ago? Yesterday. Uh, no, uh, I believe yesterday was the investor presentation on the Paramount lot, I believe. And then um, it launches in the US on March 4th. March 4th, okay. Yes. So we're coming up on Paramount Plus, but um, from, from what you were saying earlier, you recognize that after the investor presentation, stocks dropped. So there was something that the investors didn't fully back. Um, well, it was kind of- yeah, it was kind of interesting because the analysts who were there were sort of wowed by it, um, but the stock dipped for, it's up about 2% now, but it was down uh, closing around 4%, I think. So it's sort of like, is the, is the sort of bloom off the rose if you're not, or is it just because they're not Disney Plus? <laughs> and they don't have sort of the branding and the IP and all the advantages that sort of give Disney Plus the edge. Um, so, and again, they're kind of late to the game. They're the last major conglomerate to put a, a streaming service out. I mean, they had CBS All Access, but now it's all Paramount Plus. And, you know, they, uh, they've got a bunch of original. They had a lot of plans for originals. Um, we'll see if that all shakes out. Like they're bringing Frasier back was one of the bigger ones. Um, they're doing... Um, Do we want to uh, see that? Do we really want to watch Frasier? You know, like... But I, I like the original, but I don't know if I'd want to see a reboot. And then they're also doing a Godfather, the making of Godfather type movie. And then it's called The Offer. Uh, and then they're doing um, the, the makers behind the OC and Gossip Girl are doing a reboot of Love Story. Um, for those of you who are super young and don't remember, that was a, uh, Tim, you're going to have to help me out here. It was a, um, it was a Paramount movie with, uh, wow, God, I'm totally blank. <laughs> Dude, I Allie McGraw, Allie McGraw, woohoo! 
Ali McGraw, <laughs> and it was Robert Evans at Paramount. The kid stays in the picture. Oh yeah, Bob and, Evans, of course. Yeah, Bob Evans. <laughs> so not 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 the, the Breakfast Chain. Yeah, if you haven't uh, seen Evans. the kid stays in the picture documentary, like that. Oh, the book is, like, was great. Classic. The book's even better. So you oh, got to read yeah. the book. The book's classic. Great. Um, but, uh, anyway, so, uh, they're remaking that and sort of like, like, I don't know if it's going to be like Gossip Girl or anyway. But I'm with you. I think they're late to the game. I mean, we already, uh, Discovery Plus already has 11 million subscribers. Like, like they're, I mean, when Discovery beats you to the OTT field and you're a film studio, you know, well, what, I, what are you waiting for? I mean, maybe, I guess CBS All Access had a pretty, yeah. pretty good following. I mean, to be so fair, they had yeah. CBS All Access and they did have, you know, uh, Picard, which was sort of a, a, a hit in the sort of genre area. So they had, they had stuff there already. So it's just, I don't know if it's maybe, they haven't, they haven't had anything big and flashy yet. Now, the other big announcement that came out obviously was that they're going to move some films, including, I believe, Top Gun Maverick, um, to Disney, uh, sorry, Paramount Plus, 45 days after theatrical release. So that's sort of the bigger news that's coming out of it. Again, we're talking about shrinking windows and, you know, 45 days, it's going to go there. And I don't know about the next Mission Impossible. I think that's still debated, but they also had to redo a deal with Epics because they had, Epics had the deal for direct, you know, once a movie was in the theater in the home entertainment or the VOD uh, window, it goes to Epics. Yeah. But they had to redo that deal. So now some movies will go to Epics for 90 days and then go to Paramount Plus. But not some of the bigger ones are probably going to go to Paramount Plus 45 days. And I, I think we're going to see know, the days so. where, we're going to see the days soon where the studio is just going to own the theater. Like they're going to, uh, have the theater release under their control, then the, then straight to their OTT platform under their control. There's no reason to kind of like push to these other outlets if they're going to try to get subscribers into the OTT space. Well, um, we've talked about that a little bit, but I, I, I mean, I haven't heard any moves yet unless, but again, I'm not in sort of the corporate boardroom. So I'm sure there's some conversations already happening with regard, especially with like Disney and NBC Universal who have uh, brand, uh, units under the corporate umbrella who are used to sort of designing exhibits and entertainment and you know that kind of thing. Uh, I, what's funny about it or interesting about Paramount is that you, they went from a CBS platform which is traditionally television to Paramount the studio. Uh, yeah. Almost the opposite move of what Warner Brothers and Universal did going from the studio brand to their television mm. brand. Yeah. Um, and, and Disney of course they kind of I guess they stayed within their studio brand for all their all their feature films, they didn't uh, downsize it to like an ABC or something like that. Well, they they have the they have they have the 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 sort of areas like have Disney, they have Pixar, Marvel, Lucas, Star, Star Wars, Nat Geo underneath the Disney umbrella. Yeah, they they, they, they kind of made, made channels in their on their platform opposed yeah. to this. But yeah. interesting, we'll see which one plays itself out. I think we, I honestly feel like the Warner Brothers Universal move downgrades the. The experience, especially if they're if you're thinking well, of it as a theatrical release, but if you're leaving theatrical open because you want to do yeah. theater first, then it kind of fills the place of the VOD um, broadcast space that film yeah. used to have. So I think a little bit of it is is the branding aspect. Um, I think, particularly with Disney, Disney really, if you break it all down in sort of movie world, Disney's the only studio that has brand. You see the Disney logo, you know what you're getting. 
you see the Paramount logo, you see the Universal logo, it's, it's a mishmash. You never know what, what's coming. But Disney has brands. Mm-hmm. Even when it comes down, you will see Marvel, the Marvel logo, you see the Lucasfilm logo, you know what, you're, you know what to expect. But the other, the other studios don't really have that. So I think they were leaning on what they felt was a more attachable brand. Whereas, um, you know, Peacock, sort of like NBC, but not really. HBO, obviously, they wanted to attach to HBO, which is sort of a stellar brand when it comes to sort of adult um, fare and adult um, type shows. Are a lot of uh, people would argue that turning it into HBO Max hurt HBO, the brand, um, and some of the evidence exists that that's the case. Yeah, and then you look HBO at go. yeah, and then you look at sort of um, with CBS All Access. CBS, unfortunately, for better or worse, is older programming. It's older adults. And I think they felt, I know they hired Droga 5 to do this whole big rebrand and they came up with Paramount Plus. Like, there you go. I mean, yeah, <laughs> there you go. So, but I think they felt, to your point, that if you lean more on sort of the bigger theatrical movie um, type name versus just a TV name, you feel like you're going for something a little bigger. And maybe that was sort of the justification behind it. All right, let's pivot here because um, there's a kind of another, uh, we'll say traditional Hollywood experience, which is the Golden Globes, is, uh, is something that's coming at us this weekend as well. Uh, very interesting that the Globes are happening um, yeah. because there's usually Globes is a celebration of film and it's a precursor to what we're gonna see in the Oscar season, mm-hmm. uh, the nominees and the wins or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not have known the Globes is happening if you didn't tell me this on our on our briefing this morning. So, um, <laughs> well, it's, it's only because it's, I, I've seen the promos. That's I mean, really, the only reason I I realized it was this weekend because of the. Promo. But the disconnect is real. Like the oh, disconnect yeah. of like, I mean, were there films? Was there did something happen? Um, I saw recently the Academy, um, the Oscar Academy, um, released a, a list of films that were eligible. So even almost like they became the promoters of like, just in case there were some films, we're going to give you a list of what, you know, <laughs> this is like a well, to be fair to the Globes, it, it does involve TV shows. It's the only award show that's sort of considered a precursor to Oscars that has both film and TV. So what's somewhat cool about watching the Globes is one, it's a little bit crazier because people drink the whole time because you're sitting at a table and you've got the Monet, Cha- Monet champagne that just flows like water. Yeah. And you've got a little more edgy hosts. You know, this year it's uh, Tina and Amy again, which I'm sure their opening numbers will be, will be funny. Um, but it's also but involves- be, be Ricky Gervais. That'll yeah, it's not, it's not going to be a roasting. It's not going to be a full-on roasting like it was last year. But, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's the combination of sort of the, the booze flowing and then having both movie and TV stars in one room. So that's sort of the interest of it. But it's not going to be like that this year. Like, I don't even know if I've heard that they've told some uh, nominees to not have friends over. So I don't know if that means they're going to just stand up at their house. It's going to be, it may be similar to the Emmys because I thought the Emmys did an okay job with that. Where yeah. was, like all the shows were sort of in their own little pods. You could potentially do that with the films. Like all the little films could be in their own little pods and the shows will be, I don't know how it's going to flow, but you're right. It, it, it goes to the point of like, were, were there any movies released this year? I'm like, no, not where well, they were yeah. technically, but did, did any of them really 
churn churn any sort of cultural conversation. No. Yeah, they not didn't. Really. Nothing really stuck, or if they did, it feels like 20 years ago. I mean, if yeah. you were to tell me a film that came out in November qualified, I wouldn't even know if I saw the film or not. There's uh, such a disconnect happening, which really does kind of paint the picture of what the opportunities coming through through um, the Hollywood experience. I read mm-hmm. this last week that um, like the, the major networks are dropping the ratings, the overnight ratings anymore. So the the variety was just reporting that nbc was doing is doing that recently um and that recognition like what you know how content is viewed and the value of content isn't just in that one-time pop culture experience um just for people to know overnight ratings are the ratings where you kind of know that they call it going live it's the first time that show was broadcast and if you have a good following or a strong following, something like Seinfeld, your overnight ratings basically captured a, a good uh, t- 20% of the audience or something like that. Um, now, the, now the ratings are sub 1% of all viewing. So um, he, here's the quote. I think this is a cool quote, Keith. Um, this is uh, Stuart Levine from NBC. And he, um, in making this decision of just dropping overnight ratings as a measuring stick for, for their company, Um, which again, if you're an advertiser during that half hour block, you want to know that everyone was watching that, that network at that time, because you want the eyeballs for your marketing. He said, we didn't come to this decision lightly, but we believe it's important to accurately reflect how the television business is changing or you and I say changed (laughs) (laughs) specifically how these early ratings numbers no longer are no longer representative of the performance of a particular show or series. So like to what he's really saying is like, yeah, sure. The first time it's shown doesn't really express all the time people go to watch the show. So one thing I'm picking up there is that these overnight numbers are not the only numbers they're looking at. And clearly they have to give advertisers some number and some ratings in order to get those commercial dollars in. Um, But clearly this is a major player saying, yeah, the old is gone and the new has come. Um, and that, that representation of what's happening is going to be something that are going to make major business decisions in these platforms, how they're going to choose people to make content with, how they're going to judge if that content is successful. And honestly, how us viewers are going to start recon- recognizing and representing, oh, was it a good film? Um, mm-hmm. If it's a blockbuster hit, we, we know it, but um, we, don't, we don't have any visibility now of how we're all rep- knowing that we're seeing the same thing or watching the same um, content yeah yeah it's interesting because um i can remember back in the day i'm gonna sound like uh the the old guy and say, get these kids off my lawn but uh back in the day i can remember when friends was drawing 30 million viewers a week and we would if we looked at tracking which is sort of the what movie industry uses to sort of gauge how well a campaign is penetrating the culture and we were like five or six points down to where we felt we needed to be to have a good opening weekend. We could just run a, run a spot on friends and we would guarantee you get a five to six, 10 point bounce on tracking the next day. That was, that, that, I mean, that just sort of, and that was like six years ago, seven years ago. We're not talking like a long, long time ago. <laughs> like, yeah. We're talking like recently. And now I think what you're seeing, and this also ties a little bit about something you and I sort of, bantered about on, uh, uh, earlier this week in terms of the, bo- of the studios doing the same thing, sort of holding back numbers. It's because I think 
yes, there is a sense that the metrics have shifted and they tried to accommodate for it for like live plus one, live plus three, live plus seven. For those of you who don't know typical ratings, that means what the rating is over three days, the day of, and then three days after the day of, and seven days after. Even that sort of hasn't become sort of a standard anymore because people are just watching whenever they can. And I think what's also the driving a lot of this is the idea that the wide press is not necessarily going to dive into the details of why a show got bad ratings or why a movie got poor box office. Or can justify it. There, you're right. There used to be people that basically grab the ratings and then do a review based on the yeah. why, why it performed in certain ways. Now because there isn't a, any yeah. real indicator what, why that's and, happening. And Nobody knows yet. I'm everyone loves to sort of write the first like critical broadside against a movie that was supposed to be a huge hit and turns out to not be a huge hit. It's like the same thing with a TV show. It's and I think they know that the press is never going to give all, it's about the headlines, it's about the clicks. So if you need that headline, the headline is not gonna be this show, the, the example they used um, in the article was Young Rock. It's not like Young Rock is gonna be, you know, is a huge hit. It's gonna be Young Rock premieres with disappointing numbers. And then that drives the narrative, like for the rest of the week, and then anytime The Rock's interviewed or Dwayne Johnson's interviewed, it's going to be, well, how do you feel about your show tanking? Like, it's not going to be like, oh, Young Rock had this number, but it doesn't really count for X, Y, and Z. That'll probably be buried down in like paragraph six. <laughs> so that so I think really, is also something. But making this decision, they're, they're wiping out the ability to kind of have that narrative take place, right? Mm -hmm. That's some of this goal is, is like, we're not gonna use those numbers anymore because those aren't really giving the full picture of what's right. actually, actually with our content. Yeah. So by them unsubscribing to that kind of viewership or the kind of rating system is asking the, the, uh, the, the press or the followers to recognize like there's a different conversion taking place here. Mm -hmm. And that's, we're seeing that across the spectrum, like not only just on, on television, this is NBC pulling away, and saying long gone are the days that, you know, everyone really watched things live. Um, I think the pandemic turned the same thing into theaters. Like mm -hmm. no longer are the days where movies are only seen in the theaters, how you would take that same quote and, and move it there. And mm -hmm. therefore the numbers were gonna count, the visibility were gonna count, or even a filmmaker's credit is no longer, might not no longer have the blockbuster numbers attached to their credit. Um, we were going yeah. through the Sp Spielberg's list, all we could, for the first 20 years, there isn't one film that's not a blockbuster. There isn't right. one in a 20 year span that will never happen again because there are no longer blockbusters at the same scale anymore. So that, that era has ended, those filmmakers have ended and the scores ended. That changed all of our careers, by the way. If you're a mm -hmm. content maker, it, that totally changes your career. What your, what your, um, your goalpost is going to be is very different. What the what the yard mark, markers are along the way can be very different, and the, even who you want to make deals with. Each theater might make make a, or each studio will make different deals with you to give you different returns. You know, hey, if I'm Disney, I'm gonna get you numbers on my platform. Oh, if you're Warner Brothers or Paramount, I'm gonna get you you know more visibility, more art, artistic flair. That kind of decision making is gonna um, be more relevant to people living out this career. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be um, a, a part of the overarching change that's sort of happening. And we've talked a little bit about sort of the deal making and how that's going to alter and 
the headaches, <clears throat> excuse me, that have been created by HBO Max shifting all their movies onto, um, I'm sorry, Warner Brothers shifting all their movies onto HBO Max and sort of the headaches it's causing with talent. And, you know, it was interesting because um, Tom Rothman, who is the CEO of Sony Pictures Entertainment, he did a podcast this past week um, with a gentleman by the name of Paul Rabble, I guess. I apologize if I'm butchering your name, Paul. Um, but he, it's called Suiting Up, and he's a former lacrosse player. Tom Rothman's a big lacrosse player, was a big lacrosse player at, at, at Brown. And he gave sort of a, a long-ranging conversation about the industry. So it was really interesting to listen to this because it's the first sort of like conversation that has been had where it's not like a press presentation or an investor presentation where there's sort of a script that's assigned. It was Tom Rothman just sort of riffing on what he thinks it lies ahead. And Tom's been in the business for a long time. I worked with him at Fox. Um, he's a hard-nosed guy, knows what he wants, and he drives his team much like a basketball coach drives his team to perform at their best. Um, and I think it's really interesting to listen to his perspective. And you, you brought up the fact about talent and what the way Tom is sort of like framing what's going to happen is that talent really wants to have a cultural impact. Now, you're gonna, you, you made this point earlier that all content makers want to have a cultural impact, but that's something that's distinctive about sort of the movie going experience. And I think Tom realizes that, and he thinks that's still something that is going to keep talent coming back to the big studios and wanting that theatrical release. And it ties into sort of the whole idea of their deals. Like if they're going to, if my movie's going to get pumped to streaming, what's my money, what's my, what's, what's the money going to look like? But they also want that cultural impact and they want, sort of the and that really comes with a theatrical release and i think that's something that is definitely going to be a part of the conversation and he also made the point that a lot of what ends up on the streamers is not the highest quality um which you have you and i have talked about especially when it comes to netflix some of the stuff that goes on there is not that spectacular yeah no, no um, yeah. so it is interesting to see but he thinks that people are going to come into the theaters like his belief is yes. that there will be theater goers in the future. And yes. so there's going to be a theater market or a theater visibility yeah. opposed to. He, um, he firmly believes that theaters will be packed. Like, of course, he's, he's talking a lot about Spider-Man. Um, and Jim Giannopoulos, who was the CEO of Paramount um, yesterday, or yesterday at the Paramount uh, presentation, also said theaters are going to be packed when things are normal. And, you know, the trade press is sort of pushing this meme. They had another survey, NRG, which is the sort of the go-to for um, theatrical business type research projects. They had a survey that came out Friday and the numbers were the highest they've ever been. Um, of course, they didn't give a lot of the details in terms of what exactly it means when there's vaccine is widespread. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, when is it, it widespread? You know, so there's a lot of factors going into this, but he does believe that once the doors open, everyone's going to come rushing back. But I will give him credit. What he did say also was that the era of just making something good is not going to cut it anymore. That has to be great. In other words, he used a quote that Beyonce once gave to someone who asked like the key to her success. And she said, make dope shit. And that's sort of like Tom's mantra now is like, we have to make dope shit. If we're going to get people back into the theaters, we have to sort of step it up. And this sort of ties again, to the idea of this, the scene that we talked a little bit about earlier in our pre-show, sort of um, from the holiday, for those of you who don't watch the movie, uh, haven't seen the movie, 
there's a scene where Kate Winslet's character goes to, she befriends this writer in LA and she goes to the WGA and he's being honored. And he, the first thing he says is, I remember, because he had, he had worked for um, MGM in the, in, the, in the heyday of Louis B. Mayer's office and yada, yada, yada. And he says, I remember the time when box offices weren't, rescored, weren't reported like baseball scores on the, on the evening news. And are we, I mean, we may be headed back to that time where it's not that. And where, if Tom's mantra, make dope shit, holds, then we're going to look at an era where there aren't going to be 10 movies every weekend. Because the studios are going to have to be like, we need to make a great movie that's going to get people back in the theaters. And we have to work with the exhibitors to figure out a way to improve the movie going experience. Because that's what's I going think to you just, I think those words just pulled out every multiplex in every hometown in the United States, right? Where we're trying to say, there's one big theater, there's one great show, come watch it. Instead of, yeah. there are 10 things to watch this weekend, buy tickets on Friday night for this show and Saturday night for this show, because we've been pushing this for months upon months. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Saturday morning, take your kids kids to the cartoon version of you know the latest um, storyline too. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. Like, like that, I think the major distribution channels going to OTT really leave the theatrical experience to, to a different type of play out. And why not, why not uh, take the, all the theaters in, on 42nd Avenue in New York and turn those into movie plexes as well as live uh, show venues? Because those, like you got to get people in the seats somehow if you're going to have real estate in New York doing that. And if, that's, if it's good stuff, it, people will kind of come and, and watch that. It yeah. does feel like people's confidence um, is kind of coming back into play. The, the, the vaccine storyline or whatever people are believing uh, when it comes to the, to the, the virus pandemic that uh, mm -hmm. we've been living out for a while. Um, the narratives are changing in such a way that most states are opening up. Um, yep. Of course, the communist state of California, you know, they're still shutting things down. But even New York City is uh, you know, the loudest player in the field originally. Yeah. Someone's kind of saying, like, mm -hmm. we got to get back to work. So. Um, I think the the trends are going to be there. Um, some of my hope is just that the that the filmmakers start recognizing there's opportunity in this game. I mean, as the world just got flat for them, don't let it don't fall behind. Yeah, and, uh, and I, be the front runner of that. They're going if they're looking for uh, good stuff to put in the theater, come up with a good idea. You don't have to have mm -hmm. a long lasting a long um, played career in order to get good stuff on the screen. Yeah, and I think uh, I'm gonna. I think there was a, there's a column in today's Washington, Wall Street Journal from Peggy Noonan, who's a columnist. And she sort of, there was some really great bites in the article. And now her point of reference is basically New York City and bringing it back to life. But she also talks a lot about institutions that have sort of really struggled through this. And, and I think this is a very apt point. And I'm going to quote her article directly. Uh, she says, so many institutions will have to be nimble and farsighted now or they won't survive. They're gonna to have to be nimble, creative, and generous and leave old intransigencies behind. To lead in times like this requires the eyes of an artist who sees a broad shape of things, not an analyst who sees data points. And I think that's well served to your point about these content creators and directors and producers have to leave the past behind and look for new opportunities because the other point that she made um, was also that the people think everything will just snap back once the pandemic's over. But that's not true. A human, human habits have been broken and a new way of operating has begun. That's her quote. And I think she's absolutely right. And you have to sort of 
dig down and figure out what can we do? What can we take an opportunity to change the things that weren't working before? And I think that if the mantra coming out of the industry is going to be that we open the doors, they'll come rushing in, then the industry I think is going to be shocked because they're going to be waiting a long time for it to actually be a point where it's profitable because New York is open, but it's 25% capacity, which is like 25 or 50 people. A blockbuster like Black Widow cannot make back its budget with 50 people. <laughs> I think, uh, I think that's a great way to wrap up this episode because uh, yep. we all know that that's what's true. And honestly, the reason why we got in this business, right? Yep. To, to make dope shit, as you say, like to get something out there, to um, put, put the artist's expression first and to not let it just be commoditized and pushed uh, beyond those limits. If OTT is the one that's pushing the commodity and making just a series of constant feed using a top stars on a weekly basis, let Netflix have that. Um, but it, let, let's preserve then the theater experience for, for the great art. I'd love to see that in the future. All right, yep. my friends. Well, another great episode. Thank you again for uh, being part of this. I need to thank the people behind, behind the scenes because Lydia is not only just multitasking behind the scenes and keeping us on track for this show. She's also having to uh, coach us through Clubhouse and how that process works. So Lydia, thank you for all that you're doing. Uh, we would not have the show without you. Curly Joe, thanks for helping us and support and making this show happen and getting it out there on the platforms. Um, if you are interested in, in following us, uh, we are on YouTube. You can find our channel there and subscribe there. Our episodes all exist that way. Keith and I are also available on Instagram. I post on LinkedIn. We post on Insta, all that stuff. So uh, feel free to follow us, uh, send us information, and of course, join us next week here live or in Clubhouse. We'd love to, love to see more. Keith, until next week, I'll have a great week and we'll just gather more stuff. I guess we'll watch the Globes and uh, yeah, we'll more report. <laughs> I mean, my wife doesn't want to watch, but I might have to figure out a way to do it. And I just want to say, to finish on a, po a positive note, opportunity is knocking in this business, in this industry. We just have to grasp it. This is the time when we can really make some impactful changes to an industry that's more or less been stagnant for the last 50 years. And this is our opportunity. Yeah, and on that note, I'm out. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. See you next week. See you next week.